I think it's important to let the market data stand on its own, understand what the differences are, the unique factors related to your particular role or your incumbent into consideration in the pay decision process rather than trying to retrofit the market data to match your role. Welcome to the Executive Compensation Podcast. On this show, we discuss all aspects of executive compensation. Whether you're a compensation committee member, a seasoned compensation professional, or just curious to learn more about executive compensation, then this show is the answer. Each episode brings you a focused and actionable interview on specific topics of executive compensation. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Executive Compensation Podcast. Today, honored and excited to be chatting with Matt Sito and John Zabo of Meridian Compensation Partners. And thank you guys both for joining me here today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us, Jake. Great. So today we are discussing the subject of how compensation committees have to make informed judgments about market data. And so why is this topic so relevant now in the fall, even though committees don't make pay decisions until Q1? That's a great question. And that's probably a great place to start as we're thinking about benchmarking and all the activities that go into the pay decision and the lead up to that. So now in the third quarter, we're taping this in late September. This is really kind of the start of the compensation year for us in our field. For many people that are making the decisions, the compensation year often might start in the first quarter when you're setting goals and setting pay levels and whatnot for the new year. But for what we do, really, it does start in the third quarter. So this is the time of year when many companies are reviewing their compensation benchmarking peer group and setting out the parameters of the positions and the matches that will be included in their study. And then once that gets approved in these third quarter meetings, then the consultant comes back in the fourth quarter meeting for the, with the compensation committee with the actual market results of the peer group and, and survey sources that had, they had just approved in the prior meeting. And so that really serves to provide the market backdrop to those first quarter new year pay decisions that then get made several months later. So it really is a best practice is to separate out the, the sequence of benchmarking while we are early in the, in the process. You pr- approve many of the parameters in the peer set in the third quarter, review the market data in the fourth quarter without being asked to take any action or any adjustments, approvals at that time. And then that gives the committee ample time to really understand and review, test the market co- competitive positioning of the executives, and then react to any pay proposals that management brings forth quarter meeting. Yeah. And the only thing I would add to that, John, is it's a best practice in any work that we do, anything that has a material impact on compensation programs. So we're talking about pay levels generally now, but we could be talking about incentive design changes. 
just a, a best practice is multiple bites at the apple. So making decisions over multiple meetings, assessing the information, like John said, in kind of Q3, Q4 timeframe, and then making the paid decisions based on those preliminary discussions in Q1. I also think it just generally helps set expectations for all stakeholders. So both management, the committee, and the board more broadly, everyone's really on the same page heading into those paid decision discussions for Q1. I love that. And it makes a lot of sense on just getting ahead of this, the multiple bites at the apple. So you're not trying to get all of the data at the same time you're trying to make decisions. Definitely makes a lot of sense to, to space this all out. And so when you're presenting market data to the compensation committee, what do you view as the best practices for committee discussion? I think the first place to start, Jake, is just understand that market data is imperfect and you should really avoid what I like to call the literal application of market data when you're making pay decisions. So use market data to ground your decisions with respect to pay, but consider multiple sources of market information. So both proxy data and survey data for each role and really get grounded and discuss some of the pros and cons of those alternative sources early. I also like to guide my clients to focus more on what I like to call a competitive range of a market reference rather than fixating on any specific percentile rank. So a lot of compensation committees set a compensation philosophy that the entire organization uses, and typically companies aim to position pay at the market median. I think it's healthy to focus more on a competitive range around a market reference like the market median, and that market reference can change from company to company. But by fixating less on a specific percentile, it gives the committee a li little bit more flexibility to exercise its informed judgment. And maybe the second or the last point I'll make is on regression analysis. Often companies will look at regression analysis, particularly where they may be very small in a compensation peer group, and most of their competitors for talent are much larger. So as an example, you might be below the 25th percentile in terms of the size of your company, and you want to regress the compensation levels down to that 25th percentile. Again, like fixating on the percentile ranks, I often find that adds a lot of mathematical precision that's ultimately not not necessary. And my guidance in that scenario would be more to focus on maybe changing your market reference. So focusing on the 25th percentile, if you are below the 25th percentile in a peer group, focusing on what a competitive range of market is at the 25th percentile instead. That's all really important. I mean, market data is imperfect. It has its flaws. And we'll talk a little bit more about what many of those flaws are, but very rarely do any particular roles match perfectly with the sponsor company and the external benchmark match position that you're using, whether it's proxy data or survey data, because of the different scopes of responsibility, different organizational structures and the like. And so it's, it's important, again, not to just take the number off the page and let that become the decision because of these nuances and imperfections with the data. It definitely requires judgment and there's art. It's not science. And we use that cliche very frequently in our field, but it's very true. You need to help try to understand as much as you can where differences might lie within the, the benchmarking the matches themselves or the data sets and how a certain differ, whether it's greater levels of scope or experience or whatnot. And there's a, a whole host of other inputs that are equally as important as the market data in a pay decision, whether it's experience, tenure, 
performance, internal alignment, succession planning, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And each of those, in my view at least, are as important, if not more important than the market data. And if anything, over the last couple of years, and some inflationary concerns and whatnot has shown us that data is, it moves frequently, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but all the more reason to maybe put a little bit less weighting or emphasis on the market results themselves, consider it more as a point of reference, but really take into consideration all the other unique factors specific to the individual that you're making the pay decision for. Yeah, and I really like a point you made there, John, just with respect to the timing of market data sources. And that goes back to kind of assessing the pros and cons of public proxy peer data versus survey data. Of course, we're sitting here now at the end of 2022 with proxies that were released for calendar year-end companies kind of in the first three months of the calendar year. And those were based on pay decisions made in 2021. So there really is a lag in what the actual market value is for executives today in September of 2022. And so acknowledge that when you're looking at the market data, but also consider some of the pros of alternative survey sources like a general industry survey or an industry specific survey that may have more real-time insights into executive pay levels. Exactly right. Incredible. And it's really interesting to just hear the complexity and why benchmarking is a, is quite a, a difficult aspect of this entire process. And on that note, increasingly our competition for executive talent is being found outside of our industry or companies that may be reflected in the peer group. And so with that in mind on the complex added complexity of that, what are other market data sources we should consider? And I think something that's extremely relevant at this point in history we're in a very competitive talent market right now. I'm located in our Dallas office, so I consult a lot in oil and gas. And we know that's, a, for example, a very deeply cyclical industry that's gone through tough times and good times. And when you think about certain positions that might be able to move across industries more easily, those with transferable skills, legal, accounting, HR, it is important to take into consideration other aspects of market or other perspectives of market other than just particularly your specific peer group. Your compensation philosophy, for example, might even state that, that you will look at your peer group of companies for industry-specific data, but also consider the broader marketplace as well. Often what we'll do in our benchmarking analyses is bring the peer group data, but also show some additional survey source alongside the market data to give the compensation committee a broader, a broader reference or a couple points of data to understand what the landscape of the market might be for a particular job. That survey data might be general industry. It might be industry specific. There's a variety of great surveys out there, whether it's for oil and gas, software, life sciences, REITs, you name it. You can typically find an additional point of reference to serve alongside the peer group data that often gives you a larger sample size as well. There's flaws to each. Again, with the peer group data, you're able to look at the line by line numbers and see with great detail what individual roles are paid. You don't have that ability with survey data, but as Matt was alluding, survey data tends to be more current. So you have the benefit of having 2022 compensation market data in front of you when you're making the pay decisions or reviewing the benchmarking analysis in the fourth quarter or the first quarter of the new year, whereas the proxy data is often a fiscal year old. Um, but then it's also important to continuously test your peer group as well. Industries are going through, or certain industries are going through pretty dynamic times right now. And so whether it's M&A or whether there's new companies that are now newly public, it's important to understand what companies are out there and how can we 
make sure that our peer group is keeping pace with the talent market that we're trying to compete in. And the thing I might add to that is it's also important to look role by role on your executive team to be a little bit more nuanced because there are particular jobs, as an example, in information technology or an IT job that are really in high demand in this market. And the reason is their skills are transferable across organizations. You may have an IT executive in the oil and gas sector that would be viewed as a competitor or very comparable in an organization that does retail or energy or mining. And so the premium on some of these roles that are highly transferable, I think you need to start looking at more general industry survey data to understand in the general industry outside of your own, what is the premium being paid for an IT role, for example. I also think it's important just to consider putting on the agenda if it's not already on there for the comp committee, either a quarterly or at least semi-annually review of compensation trends. And I think this is really important to focus not only on your own industry, but what kind of compensation trends are you seeing generally in the market with respect to inflation? What are you seeing in terms of some of the goal setting challenges in other industries with respect to inflation and supply chain constraints? And so really just being informed about what's going on in your own industry, but also what's going on outside of your own industry, I think is really helpful for the discussion and considering those general industry survey sources are a good place to start. Yeah, it also helps isolate differences in pay practices between industries. There are certain industries that just have very unique practices, whether it's in different designs of incentives, the types of metrics, the leverage, the weightings that are applied, or certain pay levels that tend to be emphasized more than others. When you have the secondary survey source or you're looking at broader industry trends, that helps you have a better understanding of how your particular industry might differ from broader market practices. That's great. And it makes sense here with the different roles, different, some of these are more transferable than others, a lot of different challenges here. And I mean, this is an aspect of it where all roles really are different. And so what about the situations if a specific executive job doesn't match what's typically seen in the market? And maybe it's even hard to find what that peer would be. Yeah. So I think it starts with process. And John alluded to this at the top of the hour when we were talking a little bit more about process and starting earlier and getting grounded in the methodology and the different peer group selection that you might use and really going role by role and having a game plan for each of those unique roles on the executive team. Your CEO, your CFO, highly comparable to market. But some of the other roles on your executive team that take on additional responsibilities outside of the scope of a typical general counsel, for example, who might take on a sustainability or ESG portfolio, you really need to account for that in the market data somehow. And there are a couple of ways to do that. So one is to consider a different market matches. So both kind of a primary market reference and a secondary market reference. So using my general counsel example, you might look at general counsels generally as your primary reference, but also see what the market is paying for ESG roles and sustainability roles generally. My personal philosophy is most of the time you should stick away or avoid rather premiums or discounts to the market data for additional responsibilities or potentially the role is less than what the market typically dictates. I think, again, going back to first principles like the regression analysis, it probably adds too much mathematical precision to a pay decision that should be really grounded and informed judgment from the committee. And so really it's 
incumbent on the CEO in their assessment of their direct reports or the compensation committee in assessing the CEO and his or her direct reports to really think critically about where you ought to position that individual within that competitive range that we were talking about earlier. Maybe the one exception to that rule is where you have very defined revenue scopes or profitability scopes as business unit leaders and you're matching those to market, then you might apply some premium or discount to reflect the differences in the scope and the profit and loss responsibilities of each executive. There's a lot of ways to, I don't want to use the word manipulate the data, but there's different methodologies that are frequently applied that I think maybe convey a false sense of precision when it comes around or when it comes to the market data, the blending of roles, the or blending of sources, premiums and discounts, even regression analysis. I just think it it kind of gives the implication that market data and market results are more precise than they actually are. I think if you're going to be applying a premium or a discount to a job, often it's arbitrary. How do you that your role is 15% more valuable than your market? You really don't. It's. It, I think it's important to let the market data stand on its own, understand what the differences are, the unique factors related to your particular role or your incumbents into consideration in the pay decision process rather than trying to retrofit the market data to match your role. I think it can cloud the true relevancy and applicability of the data, quite frankly. I think it's better just to try to account for the differences as you're deciding what to pay somebody rather than trying to manipulate the market data to get yourself more comfortable with the decision that you're about to make. And so one of the other challenges that, I mean, I think we're all facing with, with this is volatility in the market. And this is definitely something we've seen over the past years and everything. And so how would you guys recommend with all of this for committees to deal with that volatility in the market year over year? That's a great point. And there, there certainly has been a lot of volatility. Coming out of COVID, for example, it wasn't uncommon to see market data decline because companies took pay cuts, whether it was salary reductions or re- reduced LTI value, obviously bonus payouts were lower for many industries and many companies. Market data can go up, market data can go down. Obviously, certain as- or certain elements of pay might be more stable. Salaries, target bonuses tend to be a little bit more stable. Long-term incentives, you can see increases or decreases in any one particular year. I think it's important to try to the reasons or what, or what the, might be the driving factors behind any of those changes. So your consultant should be able to at least tell you, are there new incumbents within the in the sample? Are there special awards that may have, might have been taken into consideration? Were there changes to the peer group that might be disrupting the market values? I think it's important to try to isolate that as much as you can so that you can understand what's a true trend in compensation as you're looking at year-over-year market values versus what's noise, what's just being driven by changes in the underlying sample that you're trying to, to at least mute or mitigate as much so you can understand the true impact of the market one year to the next. It's also important not to just have a knee-jerk reaction. You might see compensation market values spike one year and then pull back the next. You don't want to try to market year to year. It's important to look at market trends and understand, okay, if we have an individual that's behind market for several years in a row, then maybe they truly are behind market and it's time to make a more meaningful adjustment. Whereas you might just have an aberration one year where the market really moves one way or the other. And it's important not to over or have a knee-jerk reaction to that, but stick with your compensation philosophy, go back to all those other factors that I mentioned when you're thinking about how to pay somebody and just let the market 
kind of settle over time and understand really where someone is positioned over the course of a couple of years rather than trying to chase. Yeah. And John, that was a much more articulate way of what I wanted to say, which was don't panic. Don't panic. Understand the key volatility drivers in the data. So I think you listed a lot of those, the incumbent turnovers, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what's important and maybe a, a practical tip, if your consultant's not already doing this, you might ask them to include in the executive benchmarking report each year by pay component for the roles in common, just what's going on with the market data. So if you do a benchmarking study each year, uh, look at the pay level data from 21, 20, 19, and 18 for each of the pay components, just to see what the multi-year trends are in salary, bonus, cash, long-term incentives. And what you'll see is likely a dip in LTI levels in, in 2020 in response to COVID and 2021, and maybe some rebounds in recent years in terms of the overall pay levels. And some of those may be general macro trends in compensation, and others may be based on some of those aberrations that John was talking about. But again, don't panic, understand where those aberrations are coming from, and then have an informed discussion around pay after that. Yeah, another helpful exercise can be just looking at the market for a constant incumbent sample. So if you are looking at CEO data, for example, out of a peer group of 20 companies, and you find that there's five new CEOs in your set, well, maybe let's look at the year-over-year market change for just the 15 that were in the sample last year that are still in their seat this year. And that'll give you a true sense of how the market has moved year to year, while those additional new five data points might be influencing what the market stats are going to be reporting back and showing either a, an uplift or a downturn in market that might not really truly exist when you look on a constant incumbent basis. It's also important to understand sample size. For example, if you're looking at general counsel data among a peer set, you might have, a, again, assuming a 20 company sample, you might only have eight or 10 general counsels. And so a thinner sample size is likely to have more volatility year to year because the change in just a couple underlying data points could have a more material impact on the market results. And so, again, all these sorts of observations that your consultant should be bringing to the table when the committee is reviewing the market analysis and understanding how it might have moved from one year to the next. Yeah, that's incredible. And so we've hit on a lot of different aspects of data, volatility, peer groups, just all the different ways you can kind of look at this and, and pull information. And so I guess it kind of brings around to the final decision question of how much influence should market data even have in the pay decision-making process? And what are other factors to consider? Yeah. And I think what we were just talking about in terms of the volatility in market data, this is actually kind of a nice segue to this next point, which is you really have to have flexibility in how you assess the market data and where you want to pay within the competitive range. The best metaphor that I've heard is if you like to golf, just a competitive fairway around the market median or whatever market reference you use. So for cash compensation, this is typically plus or minus 10% on things like base salary and target bonus. And for long-term incentives and total direct compensation, plus or minus 15%. 
So establish that competitive fairway and then determine where you might want to position the executive along that fairway, either at the bottom end of the competitive range for a whole host of factors, which we'll get into, or potentially above or at the high end of the competitive range. And so things that may impact where you fall on that fairway would include things like real retention risk and role criticality. So if you cannot afford to lose a highly tenured, seasoned, high-performing executive, you may want to position them somewhere above a competitive range of market median. Tenure is also important. So typically for new promotions into a role, if you have a newly promoted CFO that was a controller for the last two years and they're being promoted into that role at the company, you wouldn't typically expect them to be fully actualized to market median. It may take a number of years, two to three years, depending on individual performance to get to that market reference or that compensation philosophy that you're targeting. Similarly, if someone's nearing retirement and they've communicated that to you, there, there may not be a need to position a fairly seasoned executive at the top end of a competitive range of market median. So there's a lot of different factors, John, you can probably think of a couple others that committees should consider when they're making pay decisions. Yeah. And, and I think, again, this kind of goes back to your compensation philosophy. And one thing that I challenge a lot of my clients with is, should you even state a competitive market percentile objective? And I know even within our own firm, different consultants have different opinions and perspectives on that. But sometimes I find that if you state we pay median, that sets the internal expectation. If someone might be new in their role, promoted up in a stretch job, that they should be paid median. Well, maybe that's not appropriate as for reasons that Matt just described. Similarly, and pay philosophy might end up being viewed as a ceiling, either by the committee or by other parties where people feel uncomfortable going above median to pay somebody who might be a strong leadership succession candidate, high performer, long tenure, deeply experienced, a lot of institutional knowledge that you just don't want to leave. So there's reasons why you might pay someone at the higher or lower end of the range. And so I do challenge companies to think, should we even really draw a line in the sand and even state what our market percentile objective is, or should we let all of these factors kind of help us guide where we might choose to pay somebody within the range of market or the fairway of market? Yeah, and I think one of the other factors to consider is internal equity and what compensation philosophy you like to follow as an organization, to John's point, and maybe just building on it. As an example, some organizations like to have banded short-term incentive bonus coefficients. So Everybody at a certain level, 50 to 60% of base salary is your bonus. And for LTI, 100 120% of base salary is your LTI target. Everyone in that range gets the same. And that philosophy certainly has merit, but it doesn't have any individual performance or differentiation considerations. It also isn't tailored to the market for that role, and that's fine. So it's really determining, do you want to be paying everybody on kind of the same incentive program and differentiating potentially based on base salary, or do you want to tailor target bonus and target LCI incentive levels to the market data for that role? It's really more of a philosophical discussion for the committee to have more than anything else. And I think now, quite frankly, is the time to have it. Absolutely. This is incredible. So as we wrap up here, for all the companies that are here in, in Q4, going into Q1, looking at starting to look at data and everything, what advice would you have companies for at this stage of the year? 
I think just think about your process, think about your compensation philosophy generally, and start thinking about when you want to have the discussions in Q3, Q4, and really get it all into your committee calendar. So if you've already done your peer group review over the summer and assessed your compensation philosophy, start to look at the jobs that you're about to benchmark and really think critically about your survey data strategy or your market data strategy generally? Are you going to use general industry for certain roles? Are you going to use um, market data specific to an industry for certain roles? I think it's really important to have that discussion now early on in the process. So that would be kind of my first piece of advice. Awesome. Well, thank you both for taking the time to come on here. (laughs) Appreciate you hopping on. Thanks very much, Jake. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Executive Compensation Podcast. You can see more about this episode along with additional executive compensation insights at meridiancp.com. That's meridian, the letter C, and the letter P.com.